This is the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and I'm your host, Kat Bean Hansen. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Today's message comes from Sunday, October 16th, 2022. In this episode, Pastor Emma Peterson gives the third in her series of messages on the fight for racial justice within Unitarian Universalism. This one is titled, the UUA Hiring Controversy, Efforts of Reparative Justice, and the Path Forward. Today we're discussing what is referred to as the UUA Hiring Controversy, an event that unfolded in 2017, the impact of which rippled throughout the National Association and brought us much of what we are faced with as a national organization today. I began delving into the specifics of this controversy in an effort to understand the modern history and present-day context of Unitarian Universalism in America. As we are nearing closer to a special meeting where we will consider adopting the eighth principle in our congregation, I am eager to understand the context from which the proposed principle arose while deepening my understanding of the role of the UUA in determining the culture of modern-day Unitarian Universalism. It is my understanding that history, especially when we are ignorant to it or fail to understand the why of events that occur, will only repeat itself. The instigators and actors may have different names and slightly different motivations, but human society seems to carry ingrained tendencies, which when left unexamined, we are vulnerable to, unless we take a proactive approach to understanding where we have come from, where we are now, and with a solid plan of where we hope to go. In March of 2017, during an in-gathering of a program called Finding Our Way Home, a now disaffiliated program for UUs of color, news broke that yet another white man had been hired as a member of UUA regional staff. The regional staff lead position went to a white man who did not live nor planned to move to the states where that the regional team oversaw. His hiring meant that 100% of UUA leadership of congregational staff was white and overwhelmingly male. In attendance at Finding Our Way Home was Christina Riviera, a well-qualified religious educator who is now a UU minister who had been a finalist, one of two finalists, her and this man who was hired, for the position that was now filled by yet another white person. Riviera chose with full awareness of the potential for further negative blowback to her professional career to speak out regarding the discrimination she faced during the hiring process. I'll unpack more of her words in a moment. 
In an email to UUA staffers, the president of the UUA at the time of the incident, Peter Morales, called the controversy a distraction from what he proclaimed was the actual deeper issue, namely that the membership within UU congregations remains overwhelmingly white. His failure to connect that the racial makeup of leadership at the association might at least be related to the ongoing issue of a lack of diversity within our religion isn't lost on me. Morales then went further, writing, I wish I were seeing more humility and less self-righteousness, more thoughtfulness and less hysteria. Yeah, that word hysteria is eliciting groans from the congregation, especially if you're a woman. You've probably at least once in your life been called hysterical. I know that I have. Uh, it's a trigger word for sure. He then resigned three days later. The last time a UUA president failed to complete their term was in 1977 when the Reverend Paul Carnes died of cancer only two years after his election. Peter Morales was the first and only UUA president to resign. The reason given to Christina Riviera for not being selected for the position was that she did not appear to be the right fit for the team. Now, I want to contextualize this a little bit. This was the southern region of the UUA that this lead position was, was for, and she lived in the southern region and had lived in the southern region for many, many years. She was a brown person. And so when she heard that, she took that to mean not that she wasn't the right fit for the region, she wasn't the right fit for the entirely white, mostly male team. Riviera said in a statement to UU World, when you're a person of color and you hear the word fit, that is a huge red flag. Noting that all regional leads are white ministers and three of the five were men. It's coded language that signals that unless you look like the person doing the hiring, no matter how qualified you are, you will not be selected for the position, whatever it is. Now, I need to confess that when I heard the words, not the right fit, I didn't initially hear coded language. In fact, I think that I even had a knee-jerk defensive reaction. It didn't sound overtly racist to me, therefore. At the same time I began preparing this sermon, I started reading, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness by Austin Channing. Austin Channing is a Black woman you might have immediately pictured a man. And in the first few pages of her book, she explains that her parents wanted to give her a token when it came to living in a racist world. They intentionally gave her a name more typical for white boys. 
The intro of her book recounts her employment history. Often, Channing would find herself in the final round of interviews, only to be facing a panel of white faces astonished that they had offered an interview to a Black woman. She then goes on to describe hearing time and time again, you're just not the right fit. Like Riviera, Channing explains this phrase as a racist dog whistle, a way of saying white is what we are looking for without saying anything that is fodder for a lawsuit. This strange feeling came over me as I read Channing's words. I think it was probably shame. I realized I had automatically dismissed the words of the UUA as not racist because they didn't sound or feel racist to me, a white woman. I didn't doubt that Riviera had experienced racism in the UUA hiring practice, but that didn't stop me from nitpicking at the words and from minimizing her overall experience. I felt ashamed that I needed to read two different examples only a day or two apart to fully accept the assertion of a woman of color. A woman who knows when she is experiencing racism. It made me wonder, how often do we white folks automatically dismiss or minimize the experiences of people of color when they dare to tell us about them? How often do we decide on our own without or in spite of the input of people of color who are trying to tell us when we are hurting them that we aren't in fact causing harm? In some ways, I can understand President Morales' initial reaction to spin the problem away from this one instance of a bad hire at the national level back to the congregations themselves. Congregations that remain, despite our efforts to be good, welcoming, accepting people, overwhelmingly monolithic. Much of the feedback in the days following the breaking news in 2017 was that this was only one hire at the UUA. In a blog post on her WordPress, Riviera wrote that yes, it was only one hire, only one in the long string of hiring white folks and firing people of color at the UUA, but it was also tremendously wounding and significant for her personally. In the days that followed, many people who were tuned in to the news at the UUA both dismissed Riviera's personal pain and evidence of a larger problem. This is actually pretty classic when it comes to well-meaning white folks who are attempting to lead anti-racist lives. We tend to think we are more evolved than we actually are. We tend to think we've done more work and are therefore less susceptible to white supremacist enculturation than we actually turn out to be. I had some conversations with uh, some friends of mine who work really closely with the UUA uh, as I was writing this who enlightened me to uh, 
programs and expectations within the association about dismantling racism within the association that uh, lost funding and fell out of practice after many years because the UUA thought that they were more evolved than they actually were. They thought that they had solved this problem. Therefore, they didn't really need to continue to pay attention to anti-racist work. And then it exploded in this very public, embarrassing way. As part of my fellowshipping process, I was required to undergo a full day of psychological testing, followed by a seven-hour counseling session. Phew. <laughs> One of the tests I took gauged my progress in dismantling my own internalized racism. I rated in the minimization range. Essentially, I was subconsciously minimizing the differences in life experience between white folks and people of color while also minimizing the, the problem of racism systematically. The psychologist explaining my results told me that this was what just about every well-meaning white person, including himself at one point, tended to score the first time they took this evaluation. I've observed, especially as we're considering adopting the eighth principle as a congregation, our collective tendency to do this. We've quibbled endlessly about the words of the principle, some of us grumbling that we were never asked for our input. We've insisted that the other seven principles cover everything in the eighth, so it isn't necessary. But black and brown UUs have told us explicitly and repeatedly that these are their words that they're asking us to adopt as they have adopted words written for the purpose of covenant by an overwhelmingly majority of white folks. And they've told us too that the seven principles do not in fact cover anti-racism because they have been subjected to racism throughout our association time and time again. The incident in 2017 was, in fact, only one incident. It was a very public and embarrassing one, but it was only one. The danger comes in believing it was the only incident, in giving ourselves permission to minimize its impact and to refuse to make changes in the fallout. We are a liberal religion that prides itself on diversity of beliefs. But have we truly made room for differing perspectives, particularly those of Black, Indigenous, disabled, and young people? Those folks say no. In fact, we have not made room for them. And yet they are still trying. I've heard so much hubbub from Fifth Principle Project folks, including an ambush of a meeting on the Article II Commission I recently attended. White people, many of whom have been UUs for decades, who insist that the Eighth Principle, as well as the work to bring our current principles into the 21st century, is a violation of our democratic religion. 
that these changes don't account for their voices and therefore are not representative of them as you use or Unitarian Universalism as a whole. We are being asked to hear and believe in the perspectives of UU siblings of color and to truly, this time around, make room for them in this liberal faith. This doesn't mean anything is being taken away from us or lost. It means that we are expanding, we are growing, we are opening up and widening the tent. All we need to do is take note of our knee-jerk reactions and to recognize that our perspective is not the only one in the room. If we believe that we have been fighting for equality, for diversity, for tolerance, but we remain an overwhelmingly white organization, we must ask ourselves, where are we continuing to go wrong? Ultimately, it is the people within an organization who are responsible for its makeup. If the UU world continues to be majority white and of European origin, it is the responsibility of those in power to shift the demographics as well as the responsibility of the member congregations to attend to their own internalized racism. Imagine for just a moment being a person of color, hearing your fellow white UUs continue to be defensive, continue to dismiss the need to dismantle racism within ourselves and our institution. I can't imagine how painful that must be. I can't imagine how much strength it takes to remain in a religion that continues to break your heart. Unitarian Universalists, don't like being told what to do. But sometimes that means we don't like being held accountable to our harm. Recall my earlier sermon on the issue of sin in Unitarian Universalism. We are being asked to hold ourselves accountable to our actions in our member congregations and in the whole of the UU body. And we don't like it. It's okay not to like it. It's okay to feel sheepish and uncomfortable and concerned. But we've got to remember our core values and what calls us to this faith in the first place. And we've got to make room. Christina Riviera wrote, as has been proven time and time again, our good UU intentions are not good enough if they don't impact, if they don't examine impact and action. In closing, I'd like to offer a few words from Austin Channing's book on the expectations white folks have for the assimilation of people of color. She writes, Whiteness reveals its true desire for people of color. Whiteness wants us to be empty, malleable, so that it can shape blackness into whatever is necessary for the white organization's own success. It sees potential 
possibility, a future where Black people could share some of the benefits of whiteness if only we try hard enough to mimic it. The initial expectation is that I simply code switch, conforming to the cultural communication of white people when I'm with them. But in the end, that is never enough. The ultimate expectation is that I will come to realize that white ways of thinking, behaving, communicating, and understanding the world are to be valued above all else. Do Channing's words resonate with you even a little bit? Do they make you uncomfortable? Do they make you feel defensive? Are you telling yourself that that's not how it is, that it's not true? If that's the reaction you're having, I invite you to sit with it and to listen to what Austin Channing is saying and to believe her. Is it possible we are asking people of color to assimilate to our white liberal religion? To me, it very much seems like we might be. It very much seems like Christina Riviera wasn't properly assimilated in 2017. And it very much seems to me that the eighth principle, which might mess up our banners, isn't properly assimilated at present. And that makes me feel really, really bad. Because I want, as the eighth principle states, a truly diverse, multicultural, beloved community. I don't believe, not for a moment, that white culture, white culture which dominates and permeates everything, is the best or only way to be. I desire more for our association, for our congregation and for each and every one of us. Let's start to listen, and let's learn to listen well. May it be so, because we make it so. Amen, and blessed be. This has been the Sunday Messages podcast from Cedar Valley Unitarian Universalists. The music is by Nathan Moore. If you want to learn more about the CVUU, visit our website at www.cedarvalleyuu.org. And you can also find us on Facebook or Instagram at Cedar Valley UU. We welcome visitors from anywhere to virtually attend our services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Central Time. If you'd like to learn more about joining us for a service, Send us an email at cvuupodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>